Hey, welcome back for another exciting episode of The Big Ticket Life. This one actually brought to you uh, in uh, with, with the uh, marvels of modern technology. I'm coming to you this week uh, through the time machine that is recording a show that's showing to you live. Uh, I had my friend Brian uh, Lewis step in to help me record this episode while I am I don't know where I'm at right now. I might be in a hospital bed still. I had knee surgery on February 13th. You're seeing this show on February 14th. And Brian uh, stepped into this. And I can't even believe he did because this guy has just so much going on. And we're going to get get into that. So Brian Lewis, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Jeff. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. So like your most recent thing is you're running for your trustee of the village of Malvern. Yes. That's like the newest thing, but you're a realtor, you're a real estate investor, you manage properties, you are on multiple leadership committees, multiple volunteer positions. You have six children. Yes. <laughs> uh, I would imagine a loving wife because there, there's no way we accomplish this all on our own, right? Yeah, she's uh, and, she's uh, pretty amazing at what she does with them. I don't know how she does it, but <laughs> so you've got. I mean, and my TV does work. You've... That's always the first question. Don't you? Doesn't your TV work? You know, I always get that question when I tell people I have six kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, wow, you've just got a lot of things going on. So why don't you kind of unpack a little bit about what you do? I mean, you've been recognized Person of the Year. Uh, you're on Long Island, but you're kind of like living a town in a village. It's more like Mayberry. So kind of unpack what you do. 100%. And then let's, let's hear about this village of Malvern. Yeah. So, uh, I grew up in Malvern, uh, I moved here when I was about five years old and, uh, been here ever since and bought my own house here when the time came, I actually knocked the house down and built a new house back around 2001 and, uh, been a volunteer in a village. Um, Someone that likes to give back. I like to stay involved. I like to help. I like to give uh, organically. And I, um, I've been a member of the police reserve in Melbourne, deputy inspector of the reserve police. So it's like the auxiliary police volunteer police force in town, um, that assists the, the paid police force. And I've been doing that for over 25 years. I've won all sorts of awards for my service there. Um, volunteer, uh, at the local farm. So we have an organic farm in Melbourne. So we're less than 20 miles from the heart of New York City and we have this little four acre organic farm. And it, uh, pretty, so pretty special actually. And it's a nonprofit and I've been on a board there for about eight years. I just actually cycled off the board there. So I do that. Um, also help out at the church. Uh, we just did a midnight run to Manhattan the other night to, uh, give clothes to homeless people and supplies, which Friday night was frigid. It was like six degrees and it, it was, was very cold. Really, really a tough night. And we were running around the city and people are sleeping on the sidewalk. And I tell you, it's really humbling. You think you're having a bad day until you're in New York City sleeping on the sidewalk in six degrees, you know? So, uh, you know, you got to count your blessings. Sure. But, uh, yeah, the opportunity came, um, to run for a trustee in a village as a mayor and four trustees. And a sitting mayor and, uh, one of the sitting trustees said, we want you to run with us. So, uh, I said, let's go. So my, my people that I worked with, I volunteered with. And, uh, you know what? You got to make a difference in the world. You know, I feel like there's a sea of average out in the world as we see, right? And there's a couple of us mm-hmm. that, that kind of stand out in the crowd and try and make the world a better place. And, you know, Rather than just exist, to try and thrive, right? So, an opportunity, you know, it's not pays a little bit, very little. It's more of a sort of a volunteer job. It's uh, yeah. you're doing it for the love of the job, not for obviously a paycheck. 
But uh, yeah, that's outside just, of the real estate business and all the other stuff I do. <laughs> yeah, those, those those kinds of roles in your local community, whether it's a trustee position, you know, a township supervisor, um, a coach for your your school. Typically, you know, the actual school teams have paid coaches. You know, I've volunteered coach for a long time. Now all those young men are in those high school teams and I've had parents lament to me, you know, this coach is getting paid. It should be this way and that way. I'm like, listen, first and foremost, if it was about the money, this is the dumbest way to go earn money. And I know, I know these people are a lot smarter than that. You know, they could literally work at the Wawa which if you don't know what Wawa is, it's like a convenience store, kind of like a Bucky's down South. And I don't know what you would like, what do you got up your um, way? 7-11s type thing, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like kind of more expanded gourmet versions of that kind of thing. And, okay. You know, um, like that would be the smarter way to go earn some extra money if you if you had to as a, as a volunteer in your community or, or a teacher, you know. Um, yeah, it's never about the money. It is about that, that, that belief in serving your community. And obviously yes, more to get in the feeling that's really ingrained from you. Where'd that come from? Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, I've kind of been a believer and you know, you hear a lot of people say someone should do something about that, right? Someone should do something mm-hmm. about that. And then you kind of point the finger back at yourself and say, Hey, I'm someone I should do something about that. You know, a lot of people love to complain, but no one loves to fix the problems or come up with solutions. So mm-hmm. I've always just been, you know, I see a problem, I jump in and fix it. And, uh, you know, police reserve, I, I was actually going to join the fire department, the volunteer fire department. But at the time, uh, they, they trained on Sundays and my dad had just bought a house out in the Hamptons on Eastern Long Island, you know, summer house. And I wasn't about to come back from the Hamptons, you know, every Sunday to go train at the firehouse. You know, I was like, right. this isn't going to happen. This is, you know, yeah, since then they've actually switched summer trainings to Wednesday night. So. It would have worked now, but uh, I decided a friend of mine was part of the police reserve and he's like, hey, join the police reserve with me. So 25 years ago, I decided to join the police reserve and we drive around in police cars on Friday, Saturday night and patrol the streets and we do all the parades and the events. And I'm actually the court officer up in uh, the night court for the traffic court. So uh, that's an interesting story. When I first started that, I, uh, the role would basically stand in the back and be security. But the problem was that there was kind of no organization up there and we were up there till 11 o'clock at night, you know, on a Tuesday night. And I'm like, this doesn't work. So I said, how can I help? And next thing you know, we went from one person in the court. We got five people in the court now on a night and we dispatched the tickets and we kind of handled the traffic and signed people in. And now it's a process where we get out by nine, nine thirty. So, I mean, we've shaved an hour, hour and a half off of court nights just by bringing some efficiency to the court and get the non-paid thing. Literally, I just wanted to go home early. I didn't want to be there all night. And right. uh, now we have some systems and processes at the court that uh, we've developed to make it flow better, make it, you know, make everything move faster. Um, and it's uh, kind of what I do. I find I put out fires, you know, you find problems in the world, whether it's paid or unpaid, I find problems and I try and fix, you know, and that's yeah. sort of how I go about, I don't know, just problem solving, you know, it's kind of how it's, how my brain works. I see something, I'm like, you know, we could do that better. You ever think about doing this? And we run with it, you know? Yeah. So, so- I mean, how many, how many nights a week is traffic court? Uh, so they do it three nights, uh, three nights a month. Uh, so it's not too okay. much. Uh, I usually do it at this point. I do once a month, uh, 25 years. I'm kind of like, you know, semi-retired. So once a month I do it. And there's over 30 guys now on the, uh, on the force. So, uh, so we cover it, you know, usually five guys a night, you know, 
But I used to do it three times a month, something like that, you know, but now it's like once a month because I said I'm kind of my 25 years. I've put my paid my dues, you know, we're figured out over 700 tours, probably 3,000 hours or so. I've donated to the village and, you know, yeah, last 25 years. Yeah. So it's a lot of time, you know, and uh, a lot of people don't want to do it, you know, um, on, uh, what was it? I think it was in the, when the Giants game was on Sunday, I guess it was three weeks ago. Uh, they were doing an event. It's actually Martin Luther King event. So I guess it was Martin Luther King weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted the churches and they asked, you know, if we could do a crossing because it's, we're getting dark and it's a main road and there was people crossing the street. And they asked if uh, we could go down there and all my guys that, you know, are under me decided that, uh, you know, they wanted to watch the game. They want to do this. And I said, you know what? I'll go do it. So I mean, one of the other guys stood in the street and called and crossed people in front of church, you know, and, you know, it's just what we do. You know, it's, this. there was a need and obviously had to fill the need. And so, and it goes yeah. back to business too. It's the same thing, obviously. That's what successful business is, right? You find a need, you find right. a problem and you fix it and you paid to fix it, right. you know, so. Yeah, that's where value gets delivered. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's just the mindset really. It's, uh, I think some people have it and some people don't, you know. It's, well, I would say it, it's, it's the mindset, but then it's also, I mean, again, kudos to you. It's also that, that commitment and volunteering and taking the action of that time. You, know, you said a few minutes back, someone should do something about that. Cool. You know, my, my statement when, when I was volunteering heavily within the local youth sports organization football, um, I would remind the parents, look, be the change you want to see, right? Mm-hmm. Which is from Gandhi. And I mean, seriously, like, this is all volunteer. And if you really knew the hours that go into this, you know, like you see 90 minutes, three times a week at night for practice, you see the hour or so your child plays the game, but you don't see the two games pre and post that game or around it. And you don't see the prep time, put away the equipment and then all the off season time. Um, there's a lot out there and you, you know, it's easy to point fingers, but yeah, be that change, do something about it and, and, and be about it. And you're really hearing Brian, you really can't say I don't have time for that. I mean, man, I'm like, you know, you're telling me about traffic court. I'm like, when's this guy sleep? You know, that, um, that's the thing. Uh, I find a lot of people say, I don't have time. And there's no such thing as not having time. You don't want to do it. If, right. if you want to do something, you'll do it. If you could be mm-hmm. the busiest person in the world and your buddy say, Hey, let's go out for a beer. You're like, all right, screw it. Let's go out for a beer. Because you want right. to do it. That same time, you could have went and volunteered. You know, everyone says, right. I don't have time for stuff. And that just means it's not important to you. I mean, it's really, you know, we call that uh, FYE, you know, we get your excuses mm-hmm. and uh, everything's an excuse. When you say you don't have time, that just means you're not interested. I mean, it's really what yeah. it comes down to, you know, that's an excuse for right. I'm not interested. Yeah, I've had, I've had people, I've heard over the years, another way to think about, I don't have time, rephrase it in your mind this way. I don't value hmm. what that time investment would yield. 100%. So I don't have time to go throw baseball with my kid. Yeah. I don't value creating a memory with my son. Hmm. Yeah. Think about that one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that's how you got to hit hard with yourself. And it's, you know, folks like Brian and other high performers, um, uh, they uh, they realize that time is finite, so they maximize most every opportunity with it, and it is that opportunity. Um, so, tell me about 
this organic farm? Because that's really interesting to me. So, so where did that start? It's been in Melbourne forever. It's over 100 years old. Uh, Grossman's Farm. It was uh, called, now it's called Crossroads Farm. We, we, when, so it's about 10 years ago now, a little over 10 years ago now. The, obviously, the, the original farmer, uh, George Grossman, had passed away and the kids didn't want to farm anymore. And the property went up for sale, basically. And the community did not want to see, you know, townhouses and condos and stuff go on the property because it's little Mayberry, small town USA. So, uh, Nassau County basically came in and bought the property, uh, as a sort of like a park, you know, kind of thing. Like in, you know, preserved space, you know, I guess maybe historic places kind of, you know, thing. Basically, they took tax dollars and bought this property for the community and everybody, everybody to use in the county. And I kind of, I grew up upstate New York. Uh, I didn't grow up there. My grandfather in his retirement, towards the end, towards the end of his, you know, right before he was ready to retire, he bought this old farmhouse from the 1800s that was abandoned. And me, my dad, and my grandfather drove up to, it was uh, Edmondston, New York. So it's uh, up by Cooperstown, up in that area, Oneonta. And uh, I guess it's central, western New York. And um, I know I know where Oneonta is. That's yeah, out there. So, yeah, that's yeah, western up, New York. up in that area. So it's a good four-hour run, I'd say, you know. And we drive up there every Friday night and we work on the house all day Saturday, all day Sunday and come back Sunday night late and Iron Man did every weekend. I mean, for a lot of a lot of years of my life, you know, not every weekend, but a lot of weekends, we going upstate, working on the house mm-hmm. of grandpa. I learned everything, plumbing, electric, building, and they really didn't hire anybody. My, so I, I'm a third generation, uh, tin knocker. So sheet metal worker, HVAC world. So, um, uh, actually carry a union card for, uh, uh, local 28 wow. in New York City. So that's, uh, kind of how I grew up in the industry. I grew up as a contractor. On job sites, you know, I was always watching what everyone did, learning, and, you know, I'd see how this was built and I'd see how this was wired. And, you know, I always kind of like figured it out. Like if someone could do it, so can I type thing. And, uh, so years of going up there and basically learning how to rebuild this, you know, ancient house, uh, lots of fun times looking back now with dad and grandpa and, you know, bonding times. Uh, you know, I learned a lot about that. So I grew up near this farm. Uh, so his, his house was across the street from the milk farm. Uh, they had lost the house to tax at the farmer. So they were still operating across the street and they still were milking the cows and doing all that stuff. And they had like, you know, trailers on the property. And then this was across the street. This was the original family farmhouse and they had lost it because they couldn't pay the taxes. So they lost it to tax. Mm. Kind of a sad story looking back yeah. at it. But, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's that, that's life. a sad story everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's farm life. You know, it's, it's sad, you know, so. Yeah, I my best memories were hanging out on the farm, you know, going and seeing the cows. He had the Belgian show horses. He used to take us on hay hay rides around the neighborhood with the yep. horses that exercise the horses. Like, come on, you want to go for a ride? The farmer across the street, and um, Bob, and uh, so when this local farm kind of closed and then it got to be open, it was volunteers running it. I started hanging out there. It was like kind of reliving my past, you know. And of course, then I start fixing stuff and doing stuff, and because I see problems, and hey, listen, uh, do you want to get on the board? Hey, you know what? Why not? So then I was on the, uh, nonprofit board for a bunch of years. And in that process, I built hay wagons. We bought trucks and restored them and, you know, farm trucks. And, uh, we put a heating system, an air conditioning system in the barn. We put refrigeration in the barn. I mean, we've done ridiculous amounts of stuff that all act. It was to the point actually where, uh, I was getting ready to call out the farm, my other woman, because I'd stopped there so much that, you know, my, my wife was, uh, kind of like, if I catch you at the farm again, you know, don't come home. You know, right. So, uh, you can sleep it, in that air conditioned barn. 
Yeah. Do you know what the problem was? It's a, it's another full-time business. Farming's hard. I mean, it's yeah. really hard. And organic farming is ridiculously hard. And when yeah. you're basically doing it with volunteers, no one works. You know, no one wants to work by the hour for 15 bucks an hour and go dig holes, you know? So mm-hmm. it's really hard. It's really hard. And it became another business that I was running, you know, or helping to run. And it was kind of like, wow. if I don't put the time in, it's going to fail. I don't fail. So it land, you know, really just became a whole another career that I was doing for free, which is insane. Right. But it's like one of those things, like if I don't do it, it's going to fail and I don't want to see it fail. So I have to do it. And at a certain point, I kind of gave up on it. And I was like, I got to step away from it. And actually, you know, did cause problems in my marriage and stuff with not being around. And we can talk about that too. But it's, uh, sure. You know, when you're, when you're an entrepreneur and you're a volunteer and you're doing all this stuff and, you know, the wife's home with the kids and you're out, she thinks you're out playing, but, you know, we're in our heads, we're working, we're better in the community, we're making money, we're networking, we're doing whatever it is. And our goal is to provide for our family, but, we forget the whole reason we're providing is to spend time with the family, to have catch with your son, all the things that a lot of times take a backseat to business when you're in the grind and you're trying to get that new business off the ground and you're trying to make ends meet. You know, it's hard. You know, this area is ridiculously expensive to live. I mean, the, the yeah. property taxes, the, I mean, everything in the New York City area is just ridiculously expensive. So we make a lot of money, but it costs a lot of money. So, you know, we're all basically broke. <laughs> so it's like, you know, right. if you make a million dollars, you spend a million dollars, you're broke, you know? So, uh, right. it's, right. it's a, it's a struggle, you know, especially with six kids. So, yeah. So, so the farm, you were able to kind of step in, um, with the community, with the county, the county buys it. You kind of helped, uh, have everybody see the value in it. So today it operates as an organic farm. Yeah, so it's ten and, years in operation, and, um, and it's yeah, operating similar. on its own, barely. Every year is you know, we're going to make it another year type thing, and somehow yeah. someone makes a donation and we pull through, and it lives to see another yeah. year. And it's 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 tough. <laughs> yeah. So where does the uh, where does the produce go? Like, wh- well, I guess let me ask this: Is it just produce, or are there animals, livestock uh, on the farm? We did have some animals on the farm. It was more of a guy that had a petting zoo, and he sort of rented yeah. space. Uh, well, he actually freeloaded space. So, uh, he had animals on the farm and it was supposed to be, uh, 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 you know, get everything in writing. It was supposed to be a joint venture where we were going to give him space and he was going to do petting zoos for Mark? us. Well, we gave yeah, him space and then Mark. he, then he decided he was going to charge us for petting zoos. And I said, you know, that wasn't a deal. And it was a whole, mm-hmm. you know, back to get everything in writing type thing. We did it on a handshake and, you know, yeah. and then people complained that the animals weren't being taken care of properly and they were yelling at us and like, they're not our animals. And it was a whole debacle. Because we didn't get it in writing, we did a handshake deal. So that's you know you learn yeah. lessons every day, you know. That's um, right. But now so that guy kind of retired, so he's the animals are off the farm. But for a while, we had chickens, we had ducks, we had a pony, we had pig, we had all, you know, but more petting zoo type stuff, you know. Gotcha. And then we grow the organic vegetables and sell them out of the store. So okay, so that's very cool. So you got your own little uh, work. Is that right here? Four acres, about four acres, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, very cool. Yeah, so that's neat. You don't hear you don't hear about that too often. Community gardens, you don't hear about that too often in suburbia or even out in like more of the rural areas where people come together. And you're doing it on Long Island. Yeah, like literally so, less than twenty miles from New York City. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely pretty wild. Wild. Yeah. So, um, so I've heard HVAC car carrying union member. You're obviously in real estate. Um, how do all those businesses blend together? 
are they all active? So, yeah. So, uh, family business in the contracting world, uh, you know, we own heating and air conditioning company and, uh, been, it was a part of that since I graduated engineering school in 99 and then went to work for the family business and was there every yep. day. Um, when I started out as project manager and, um, then I got into the AutoCAD drawing design and the, uh, shop drawings for, you know, fabrication drawings with a ductwork. So we'd get a drawing from an engineer. It's the, uh, the, I call it the dream of the engineer because it usually didn't work. And I'd have to make his dream into reality, you know, take that one line single. I want to put in, you know, a diffuser here and I want to put a grill here and I'd have to actually make it fit in the ceiling. We do a lot of renovation work in Manhattan. So you're dealing with old buildings, low ceilings, low beams, and you got to fit these air ducts nice. in and around. So I'd spend uh, seven to five, pretty much five, sometimes six days a week, uh, sitting at the computer, just plugging away, doing, you know, AutoCAD drawings, which it's tedious, it's boring. And for someone that's like ADHD, like it literally was torture trying to concentrate right. on sitting there. And I started flipping houses in the process probably a little over 20 years ago. Um, growing up, my dad taught me how to flip cars. So when I was 14, 15, my dad's like, oh, see that car driving no plates? Go knock on the door, see if they want to sell it. Knock on the door. Hey, listen, you want to sell that car? I'll give you a hundred bucks for it. And I take the car for a hundred bucks. We drag it down a block. I clean it up, make a run. I'd sell it for 500 back in like the nineties. This was. So everyone right. loved the, you know, station car, commuter cars, you know, basically junk cars that ran. And, um, we would, uh, flip cars and that led into flipping houses. We, uh, I found a house and it was actually the first one I did was a family member's house. It was a great uncle and the house needed a ton of work. And basically I told the family, Hey, listen, you know, they're going to give you, I think it was 250 for the house. I'll give you the 250 for the house, but give me two months. And then I can, we, we did it and I sold it for 400 and we made, bunch of money on it. Me and a friend of mine that also grew up around construction. We did everything. We did the electric, the plumbing, you know, everything under the sun. Right. And then I was doing like one every eight months. Uh, then I started getting into the investing side of it. And I was taking the profits from that and putting it down on a, on a house down in North Carolina, upstate New York. I have someone in North Carolina and I put the money down, you know, down payment on a house. Take a, I had everything. I had a trailer park down there. I had five families, single families, two families. Uh, and I'll bike 37 doors in North Carolina at one point. I, I liquidated them all the list. In 08, I got killed with, you know, I couldn't, mm. I, people weren't paying a rent. I couldn't, I was evicting and then someone move in, they'd pay one month's rent and I'd evict them again. And meanwhile, I had mortgages in all these properties and the rent wasn't coming yeah. in. And it's like, you know, you just start sinking fast. So when the economy right. turned around, right. I, I liquidated, which I don't know. You learn, like, if I would have held them, they'd probably worth double or triple what I sold them for back in, you know, um, I guess. Right. So it's kind of, yeah. it's, yeah, at the time you live and learn. I was like, stopping and bleeding, you know, at that point. Yeah. 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 It was hard. You know, I was like, you know, this one needs an AC unit. This one needs a roof. This one. And it's just like, you just start getting beat up. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. So, uh, yeah. as soon as the economy recovered, I liquid, liquidated a bunch of them. So, but anyway, long story short, back to flipping the houses. Um, I worked with a friend of mine as a real estate agent and she obviously was the licensed agent and I was the flipper. So she'd find me the house. Hey, listen, this, you know, Estate just came up, house needs everything. I'd buy it, I'd redo it, and she'd sell it. So she was doing great. She'd, you know, make a sale and, you know, two sales out of every deal. And we did that for a bunch of years. And then eventually she started flipping on her own and kind of, I was cut out, which that's business. There's no, you know, it, it is what it is. But then I was like, you know right. what? Might as well get my license now because I never bought to get my license. I would have been competing with the hand that was feeding me, you know? So, uh, sure. so six years ago in April, uh, um, Coming up April will be six years. I got my real estate license. Literally just to flip. It was just like literally I wanted inside track on flipping. I, hear, I didn't want to pay an agent. Yeah, I hear that often. 
It was like, you know, you know what? 75 hours here in New York, you take a, you know, school and then you take a state test and passed the test. And I uh, went to work for the little local mom and pop real estate in town. It's been here probably 80 years now. And he also flips houses and stuff. A great guy, Leon Sanchez. And he told me a lot about the business. And uh, within two years, I was the, basically the top producer in the office behind him and his son. So there was uh, probably 20 people in the office. So me working part-time as a new kid on the block, within two years, I was outselling everyone in the office because, you know, real estate was very sleepy, at least around here. Um, a lot of older people, no social media, no websites, no no game. Like it literally was like, we sit here in the mm-hmm. office and we'll let people walk in and we answer the phone and see mm-hmm. if they want to buy a house. So I brought social media to the game. I started going live, you know, doing tours of houses and I kind of changed the whole thing up because no one had done any of that before. They're like, what do you mean to go live? Hard to, believe, live it. hard to believe that that, as you said, sleepy approach was only six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, really, yeah, that's, social that's media is really, yeah. yeah. I mean, social media, you know, we, we don't know how we live without it, but, you know, you think it was a new thing back then, you know, it was, it was out there, mm-hmm. but. You know, no one was really using it for business purposes. People were using it to talk and connect and this and that. Right. And in the last, you know, five, six years, it's definitely become a business focused. Wow. Like this is a great way to advertise, yep. you know? And, yeah. um, I brought that to them and, uh, I got a lot of practice because I, uh, I ran the, uh, social media for the farm and I basically taught myself how to do social media messing around with the farm social media because like I, you know, Top of all the other stuff I did, I figured I'd run their social media too. So, but it gave me a chance to, um, to learn a lot and see what works and what doesn't work. And listen, everyone loves pictures of a farm, you know, picture of an animal, picture of the sunset over the farm, picture of the yep. flower growing. Like it was really easy to have good content, you know, and make people click on it and like the farm. And then, uh, yeah. I learned a lot. That kind yeah. of went the real estate game. Yeah. A couple things I kind of want to circle back to, you know, you've heard Brian share a lot of experience. What you didn't hear is, you know, I failed with that. What you did hear is I learned. And it might have been painful, might have been expensive, might have even financially almost turned the lights out at times. But it's, you know, that's the thing. I think people in life get so hung up on what they see as a failure when in fact they internalize it as this is the only time this person in this moment has failed and it's me. So the whole world thinks I'm awful when in fact, it happens all the time. Mm. You know, these things, lessons. you know, right. But people and just, Life you know, people hold it in. yeah, they hold yeah. it in so tight and they think that it's only them. And in fact, it's not. And as you, as you said earlier in our time together, if you think it's bad, be homeless on a six degree night in Manhattan or just be homeless anywhere in general. Yeah. Or the week we're recording this, we had those awful, uh, Earthquakes in Turkey, oh, yeah. Yeah. just devastating. I've seen a couple pictures. Uh, you know, you got families holding the hand of loved ones that were crushed in the rubble. You know, a father yeah, and a daughter just, crushed in the rubble, hugging together. Yeah. You think you think it's yeah. bad? I mean, listen, we know it's bad in the moment, <laughs> but and it feels like the world's crumbled around you, but it really hasn't. I, I quit it all. I talk a lot um, about sharing sharing our vulnerable experiences of life that, you know, we watch social media and it's the highlight reel. Most people don't yeah. talk about anything bad on social media. Oh, well, you know, they complain about stuff, but they don't, they won't share. They, they hide that, you know, that they lost their job. They hide that they're going through a divorce. They hide that 
they are, they're sick. They hide that, whatever they think. No, you don't see that. The person could be divorced, bankrupt, everything, but they're posting the pictures on the beach because, you know, they're there crying, but they're, oh, here they're in the sun, you know? So everyone plays this fake right. game and it makes us feel like when stuff's happening to us, well, it doesn't happen to us, it happens for us, I like to say. But when we're going mm-hmm. through stuff, we feel like we're alone on this island and I'm the only one that's going through this. And I'm the only one that, you know, poor me, look at me, I'm the only one doing this. And when you get into a platform where you can actually talk to people, we talk a lot about like Apex and stuff. A lot of people there have gone through some crazy struggles, coming out of jail, coming out of sickness, coming all kinds of crazy struggles and they win. And I think it's really important to, to share the bad and the good because, you know, we all, we all don't win all the time. It's just, it's no one wins all the time. They're the most successful people in the world do not win all the time. And we think we do in our mind. We're thinking, wow, you know, I'm doing bad. I'm doing bad. They're doing good. And when you find out the person you think is doing good really, you know, has had their bad moments or, you know, is either in a bad moment or spent through a bad moment. And you're like, you know what? I'm not alone. There is a way out. There's someone to talk to. There's someone to hold my hand through this a little bit. And it, uh, it really helps. And I think that's part of why there's such a, uh, I think social media is part of the problem why there's such a mental health crisis in the world right now, because people think that everybody's doing better than them and it's all rainbows and unicorns on social media. And it makes people depressed that they're not living that social media fake life, you know? Um, so I I really think it's important to to stay real with people and talk about the real stuff. You know, I go live on Facebook just about every day and, uh, I talk about a lot of stuff and I mentioned, you know, um, going through divorce actually with, with my wife of six kids because, uh, you know, we grew apart because I was in the mm-hmm. grind as an entrepreneurial world. I was out lots of nights a week, you know, networking, grinding, you know, doing my thing. And, you know, I never cheated on my wife per se with a woman, but I cheated on my wife with work. And that's mm-hmm. something that a lot of us need to think about. Like the is whole that, reason. That, I'm sorry. Is that something that's going on now? That's going on now. Yeah. So I'm in that struggle yeah, right now. Yeah. So I'm in that struggle now. Um, I've learned a lot about myself, about her. Um, our friend, Chris Whitehead, um, mutual mm-hmm. friend, uh, yep. has this concept of go-giving. And I've spent a lot of time with him with the idea on that about we have to not think about ourselves all the time because we're thinking, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. I got to get, I can do this. I got to do that. And meanwhile, you know, our wife or, you know, whoever is that person may be that we're neglecting is there. They got to get that stuff done. They're raising the kids, this and that, and they want the support. And as I, you know, not to be like a chauvinistic thing, we're kind of brought up as men to provide financially, right? And that's, right. I'm old school. Like, go to work every day, get your paycheck, pay for the bills, and then leave me alone. And I'll do my thing and I'll provide. And you raise the kids and you do all that stuff. Like, my job's working, your job's with kids. And it's really right. not the right thing, but it's kind of the old school way. Like, literally, listen, like, right. you know, I go to work. Don't talk to me. Here's the paycheck. You know, mm-hmm. I paid the bills and leave me alone. And we don't contribute the way we should. I mean, I changed diapers. I did all that stuff. But you know what? You know, I should have been there more. I shouldn't have been at the farm, you know, running another business for free. I shouldn't have been, you know, 25 years in a police reserve on a Friday, Saturday night, out driving around a police car. Maybe I should have been out to dinner with the wife, you know, or home with right. the kids or, you know, and then flipping houses. When I did flips originally, I did a Iron Man style. I did every single thing. So I'd work till five o'clock. Then I'd drive over to the house and we'd work till midnight, one o'clock in the morning. I was doing that six, seven days a week until the house was done. You know, the electric, the plumbing, everything. Like we didn't hire anybody. I learned my lesson with that, that the flips took so long that the market changed and doesn't, you think you're saving money, but you're really not. Pennywise dollar foolish. It was cheaper to bring in a contract right. to blow out the deal 
I'd have the house back on the market in six weeks. Market was still strong. I'd make a little less money up front, but it put a lot more protection back. And what's your time worth? I mean, right. I learned lessons there. So what, what was the cost? The ultimate cost was it cost me, you know, my marriage because of, uh, not being there, you know, not being yeah. the person that she needed to be. So when it comes yeah. back to like, you know, um, what I call radical acceptance, you know, when everything first kind of fell apart, you know, of course, everyone blames everybody and this and that. But then I go, you know what? If I was the husband that she needed, then we'd still be together. So I got to own it. You know, I can blame right. her. I can blame society. I can blame whatever I want to blame. But at the end of the day, I'm responsible. If I made yep. better choices and gave to her more, and, and one of the big things everyone talks about, mandatory date night, I think is huge. Um, mm -hmm. You got to reconnect with your spouse at least once a week. Um, something I've learned uh, as you, you know, as you're going through a divorce and you're back into the dating world and you try. When you're dating, you're playing, putting your best foot forward, right? What are you doing? You're, you're being nice and you're, you know, you're getting in shape and, uh, you know, you're sending good morning texts and you're doing all this, you know, dating type stuff that we forget to do when we're married, right? When you first right. meet your spouse, it's yeah, all take for granted. You take it for granted. You become roommates. And it, I, so yeah. many people I know that I have this conversation with, they're all in the same struggle that, you know, you stop trying. And I guess it also goes to business too, right? You start a new business and, you know, you're there mm -hmm. every minute and you're really doing everything. And then you get lazy. You see a lot with restaurants, right? A new restaurant comes in town and the owner's yep. there every night and food's great and this and that. And then the owner's there, you know, four nights a week. The owner's there three nights a week. The owner's there one night a week. And the owner's never there anymore. And they see, you watch the, you know, you watch it crash and burn because he kind of, it's not fun anymore. He gave up on it, started neglecting it. And, you know, when it starts, you know, the quality starts going away. So uh, yeah. there's a lot of parallels there between, you know, life and business that, you know, Never stop dating your business. Never stop dating your spouse. Keep it fun. Keep it exciting. Keep it new. You know, and uh, I think that's a, a really way to do everything. Yeah. I mean, what you just shared, you're living it. You're living what your, you know, your words and actions meet. You know, and I'm sorry your family's going through that. It's, it's got to be rough. And, you know, prayers for you guys that you, that you're able to make it through in a loving way. And, uh, you know, whatever the other side of that looks like for you all, at the end of it, it it'll be. But, but that's uh, actually the uh, the crazy thing is that we're like best friends now. Like now the yeah. stress is kind of out of it. I stopped fighting. Like I would, I always had to have the last word. I always had to prove I'm right. She came to me with something, and I, whether she was right or wrong, I had to prove how I was right. You know, and and we're yeah. we're pigheaded like that. Literally, we always have to have the last word. Is it worth the fight? I would now. It's my new mindset. Is is this worth fighting over? You know, mm -hmm. she wanted to paint the wall and she wants a blue and I want a green. I'd fight to make the green wool. Does it really matter what color she wants to paint the wool? No, it doesn't. Why are we fighting over this? But we, right. I think as the, you know, the alphas, I got to be right. I have to have the last word. You know, I got to, you know, wear the pants type thing. And we hurt ourselves in that process and we don't realize mm -hmm. we're doing it in the moment. You know, it's, uh, it's something I think. And again, it goes back to another power of the business. Sometimes your client, you're arguing with your client over, over a dollar. Like, you know, is it really worth losing a coin over a dollar? Just give them the dollar. That's what they want. You know, like, right. it really is it worth the struggle? Is it worth the fight? And uh, because I started living my life like that, I don't fight with her anymore. Like, she wants to do something. Right. Normally, I would have been a fight. I'm like, whatever you want. Like, you want to do that? Great. You want to paint the wall purple? Great. Paint the wall purple. I don't care. Like, yeah. like stop fighting. And as I stop fighting, she stopped fighting. And now we actually get along. Like, you know, like that go-giving. I go to her now and say, how can I help you? What do you need from me? How can I make mm -hmm. your life better? I never did that before. Like that was just something right. that I was like, I gotta go to work, like figure it out on your own, you know? And, uh, right. you know, it's, uh, right. Yep. The whole mindset and uh, that go giving 
attitude that I took into giving to my community and the volunteerism, I wasn't giving it to my family. I wasn't giving it to mm -hmm. my household. And why, I don't know. It's just, you know, I guess how you were raised and, you know, whatever core values you had at the time. And, you know, every day you learn. And I get in the right room. Get in the right room really changed my life. Joined an Apex, uh, yep. I guess it's almost three years ago now, uh, two and a half years ago. And uh, Tom Keenan was a friend of mine here in New York. That's actually how I got looped into that group. And mm -hmm. uh, Jessica Denny, he is also a friend of mine up here in New York. So two strong yep. Apex people. And he got, uh, uh, isn't Benny up there too? Benny's up here. I actually got, I got Benny into yep. Apex. Benny's a really good friend of mine. There you go. Uh, he yep. just got installed last night as a trustee for the um, merchants of Malvern um, Merchants. So he's uh, he's on the board. Okay, of so he's in your now. he's in your village. He's right. He's there. in my village. Yeah, he's one of my guys. Yeah, he's he's one of my nice. my best friends up I here. Mean, I think Robert. I think to kind of circle it up here. I mean, what you just heard from Brian. I mean, massive action, massive authenticity. I mean, here's a guy running for political office, which is what it is. Um, I don't know many Browns. I don't think you think of yourself as a politician. I'm not going to class no. you as a politician. Because so many politicians wouldn't have just went on like you just did and yep. shared like you just did. There would have been an agreement with your with your wife about the facade, about the presentation. Yeah. And uh and she supports me, you know. I, I asked her, what do you, you know, how do you want to do this? And she's like, I support you, you know. I said, Well, you know, then you know, if you want to stand by me, stand by me. I stand by you. Like, you know, we're, yep. we're in this together. We have six kids. We're in we're in this together for life. You know, and yeah, this you know. is the kind of leadership our society needs at all levels at home with your children, uh, in your community, in your local governments. Uh, this is, this is, this is what it needs. You can't sweep this stuff under the rug. You can't, you can't just give that fake facade that everything on the surface looks good, but there's a lot of cracks underneath. Um, you just can't do that, uh, at all, you know? It's real um, world, you know, it's, it's an MTV real world. You know, that's the reason that show was so popular because people really connect with. Well, I think a lot of it was staged, but that idea of just real and raw and craziness that goes on in daily lives. And, uh, you know, listen, there's a reason MTV doesn't show videos anymore, right? It's all reality shows, right? So people want to see reality, but I think they want to see real reality. You know, I think they want to relate to, listen, I'm going through this in my life. You know, I'm hoping what I just said can help some people not go through separation yeah. divorce because yeah, I think a lot of us in our lives got to take that deep breath and go, hey, wait a minute, that's me. Like... I did. I, I was like, you know, when it started going on, you know, you're yep. like, why me? I'm alone on this island. And then I talked to other people, you know, that have gone through it. And, you know, even though, even a Ryan Stewart has been through divorce and, you know, yep. actually Ryan spent 45 minutes on the phone with me talking about the divorce yeah. and whatnot. And I thought it was honestly awesome. Out of the kindness of his heart, yeah. he's like, dude, he's like, dude, you're right. And I go, yeah, not really. I told him what's going on. He's like, you want to get on a call? And he literally spent 45 minutes on the phone with me talking about, going through all this and uh like it was awesome of him to do that i really you know obviously right. you know the power right? yeah i know <laughs> yeah if he's uh yep. going to take 45 minutes out of his life to get on a call with me i just thought it was awesome and i think right that's part of being real i think it's part of being a real human being a real person really you know what there's this business and there's all this other stuff but at the end of the day we're all humans we're all real people we all one big family you know it's like we're all the same you know Rich, poor, yeah. you know, what, whatever nationality, whatever country, wherever you came from, we're all the same at, at heart, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, man. I think that's a great spot to wrap up. Appreciate your time. Good luck with the, uh, the trustee run. 
Are you, right. is, there a, is there a competition for that or is this? So the spot I'm going for, it's the best two out of three right now. So uh, yeah. it's the three guys running for two spots. So um, it's, you know, it's politics is local. It's difficult because um, the guy that's run, the two other guys I'm running with, uh, one is uh, my friend Carl, who I was on the farm board with. We did a lot. Big mm-hmm. volunteer in a village. He was actually in all the Boy Scout pictures. Another giant volunteer in a village. And uh, the other is a friend, Scott, who is an expired chief and uh, another volunteer in a village. And, you know, good guy. Like, really, you know, it's just really going to, yeah. you know, let the best man win. Um, I, I really can't say bad about anyone, you know, other yeah. than let the best man win. You know, it's not like... It, so your community is yeah. going to vote and they're going to yeah. have confidence in what would appear to be three great men. And, you know, the... the the numbers will be the numbers, and that's just that's that. it. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, it's going to uh, share our experience and share our resume, and yeah, they're going to pick the best best person for the job. You know, so uh, that's right. Yeah. So, well, you've got that basis of leadership, that foundation of commitment to giving back. That's for sure. And you're going to figure out you're figuring out the personal stuff, learning it, and uh, all those lessons you can bring forward for Village of Malvern. So that's awesome. You can bring them forward for your children and. You know, best of luck with uh relationship with your wife, whatever that looks like going forward, man. I want nothing but the best for the both of you. Appreciate that. And uh man, this has been this has been really a, a good conversation. Really appreciate all you do for your people and the people around you. We didn't get to talk about you said your church. I know that's uh important to you because you listed it. Um the Lady of Lords Midnight Run Food Pantry and the Nassau Land Trust Crossroad Farms. We talked about the farm at length, but um, yeah. So, any way that people can help uh, the church there, the Lady of Lords Church, yeah, so it's a local, direct them to local church, a food pantry. We do a food drive. Uh, it's actually just kind of because I'm a competitor. Quick story: they started this thing. Uh, they call it a <laughs> super super scavenger hunt. So right around uh, right around Easter, um, basically we go door knock. And we ask people for food. Like, hey, listen, you got a couple cans of food. Whoever gets the most weight wins. So there's, there's mm-hmm. teams and they divide the town up into I don't know, a dozen teams and you get, you know, a couple blocks a piece. And because, you know, I'm a competitor the first year I did it and we got, you know, I don't know, 100 or two pounds, something like that. I'm like, oh, we did good, you know, and, you know, all together, maybe they got a thousand pounds. So then I started flyering my neighborhood. Hey, listen, we're coming Saturday. Have food ready for us. Then mm-hmm. the next year, so that year we won. We had a lot of food. So then other people started doing it. So I'm like, oh, what's my competitive edge? I'm like, all right. So I went back to them with the fire. He's like, we won last year. We need to win again. Like, I need more from you guys this year because I don't want, you know, I don't want to get beat by everyone else. So next year, it was two bags out on the front porch. Well, then yep. I got a little creative and I said, well, my house is on the list. So I'd go to Costco and get a skid of peanut butter and jelly and start the day off with it in the back of my truck. So then we were blowing <laughs> people out of the water. I mean, like, so I get out know, bringing back thousands of pounds. They got a pickup truck with a trailer on the back, the truck squatting. And I'm rolling yeah. in. I was like, I beat you this year. Like, there's no way you beat me. Like, cause I know I got like a thousand pounds of peanut butter and jelly in the back of my truck. So, yeah. uh, then like, oh, you're cheating. So the, uh, the pastor, the church goes, listen, if he wants to spend a thousand dollars on, uh, peanut butter and jelly to, uh, to win a, a $10 gift certificate to the ice cream shop, like, God bless him. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, there's, there's evil Brian cheating, yeah, donating a thousand pounds into, of food. Yeah. 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 So it became, but I turned this thing that we, maybe would get a thousand pounds to the point where they have, we get so much food, they don't even know where to put it anymore. You know, 10,000 pounds yeah. of food we'll collect on a, on a Saturday in a village. I mean, it's really awesome and it gets them, you know, so a little competitive uh, edge there, uh, really you know, it to the next level. Yeah, man. I mean, bless you and the competitive spirit because here, here's what probably 
um, people miss out of that. You know, you get a pallet, then you get two, then you're breaking the axles on a truck and a trailer. <laughs> but what's everybody else doing that's in second place and third place? They're, they're working hard. Trying to catch up, yeah. And it's you know, all together. I mean, it literally... This, right. It wasn't just Brian bringing extra. It was everybody bringing extra. 100%. And that's the point of being out front. You create a new path. You create a new draft. And it ain't about being the leader per se. It's about creating greatness. Yes. And in that in that exact moment, that's what you're doing. And on that note, man, this has been great. Keep leading with greatness up there in New York. Uh, appreciate you. And um, man, this has been a lot of fun. So thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. You're welcome. All right. We'll see you next week on the Big Ticket Life. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.bigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket method shifts you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift, book your call, go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.